0: I'm so glad you're here today as we begin this new series ordered around what happened on this day 2,000 years ago the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. And too often, it's one of those things that we take for granted the Holy Spirit, that we neglect. And so, we're going to take a fresh look at the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit over the next four weeks, and we're going to be Uh, Not just learning that uh, old song, but we're going to be refreshed in it. Every single week we're going to be doing it again, because I think it does embody really the heart and soul of what Pentecost is all about. And and that's why we have this this title slide, if you will, for this morning and for the next four weeks. The, the, The series is called Top Down Living, and it's really a literal take on what it feels like to ride in a convertible. Because if you've ridden in a convertible, you know that part of what that experience is about is when you're driving in a convertible, you can't worry about your hair. <laughs> right. Uh, you've got to focus on whatever's around. You know, the, the wind just kind of blows you back and and it all of a sudden other things begin to drift away. And, and I believe that's part of the joy of riding in a, a car with the top down. You don't have all the metal and stuff around you to shield you from the wind or, and shield your eyes. With the top down, you can really see life in it, all its richness right that moment, the beauty and wonder of creation. And I, I invite you to think with me that riding with the top down means that when that wind is blowing and, and you're seeing all these amazing sights, that all the rest of life begins to fade away. And, and you're living more in the present, in the moment. And, and maybe that's why God ordained that we should have top-down kind of vehicles, right? The guy said, hey, you need, to, you need to live that way every single day. And I submit to you this morning that that's really what this series is about. It's about learning to relive our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit, top-down kind of living. There's just something free about riding in that vehicle. I, I have an old Toyota Land Cruiser that when I bought it had a soft top on it, but ever since then, it's been topless, and, and it's a wonderful vehicle to drive in for me, and mostly because it's just the wind, and it's focused in the moments, and I love that about that experience, and I believe that's the way God wants us to live our lives, focused in the moment, in the present. Too many of us are captive, held captive by things that have happened in the past, and they eat our lives up, and they dominate our agenda, and, and we find ourselves in sorrowful places because of the past. That's not the way God wants us to live. God wants us to live free and in the moment, filled with the joy of what it means to experience God's love every single moment of every single day. Top-down living. It's about living the way God wants us to live, free and filled with joy of every single moment. Now, in order to experience the Holy Spirit, we're going to speak this morning about what this experience is about and in order to do that we have to go back another chapter in the Bible from the second chapter of Acts which was read to you a little bit ago you got to go back to the first chapter because there you find Jesus speaking about the power of the Holy Spirit he's giving instructions before he leaves right it's been 40 days since Jesus died and rose from the dead can I get an amen Amen. can I get an amen Amen. all right that's more like it yeah Jesus died, and then He rose from the dead? Amen. Okay, all right. And, and after that, ten days later, they were all gathered, and Jesus, it says before that, He gave them final instructions. He said, wait, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere, because the Holy Spirit is going to come. He promised the Holy Spirit. So here's what he says and Jesus says in chapter 1, verse 8. I want to invite you to read it with me, if you would please join with me. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now leave that slide up if you would, guys, and 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 we're going to read it a second time. But before we read it the second time, I want you to consider that this verse has two promises of Jesus in it. And and when we read it again, you'll you'll see the two promises. So let's read it again together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, you got those two promises, right? Uh, Jesus says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And as a result of that power, the second promise is that you will be my witnesses. And it says in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And if we were writing that today, we would say in Fort Worth, throughout Texas, in the United States, and to the ends of the earth. That's what God invites us, Jesus invites us to understand that this power, when we open ourselves to this power, it changes us and allows us to help people know that Jesus is alive. So think about this power with me for a few minutes this morning. Or another way of speaking about this power is to speak of it as the force of Pentecost, the force of Pentecost, and. In honor of Comic Con that we had here last Saturday. Uh, And for all you Star Wars lovers out there, you know this famous phrase from the movies, right? The Star Wars saga. Uh, The force, what? Be with you. you. Everybody knows that, right? Uh, The force, be with you. Go ahead and say that to your neighbor. Very nice. You guys got that one. Very good. Now, Now, please understand. This force that we uh, understand in the movies in Star Wars is a force that has two sides, a good and an evil side. But please understand that that is a different concept than what the Bible gives about this force that we're talking about today. This power that we're talking about today does not have an evil side. It is one-sided. It is good. It is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And with this power, you'll tell people about it in your city, in your state, in your country, around the world. Now, when we talk about this power, this force of Pentecost, very often we think about things like spiritual, having spiritual authority over demons, or we think about miracles and we think about signs and wonders and we think about the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. But while we would say, yeah, all that is scriptural, we would not say that that is the power of The holy spirit because the power of pentecost the power the force of pentecost is the result of the holy spirit working in people that's where the power is think about the lights that are in this room here today these lights are wonderful and we like the lights because they help us see right but the light is not the power the power is the electricity that you cannot see the light because it is connected to that power, can give us this kind of light. And that's a a simple example of, of what the Bible talks about when it talks about this force, this power. It's something that you cannot see, but the result of it you can see. And that is the result of what the Holy Spirit does in us transforms lives, helps people know who the person of Jesus Christ is. These things, this Holy Spirit stuff, that we're talking about over the next four weeks, is is about the evidence of God seen in you because you are open to the power of the Holy Spirit. You are the evidence of that power. Now, some of you know that I've been a longtime fan of Pastor Jack Hayford, and Jack Hayford probably speaks more about the Holy Spirit than almost anybody that I know and does a beautiful job of helping us understand. And so some of what I say today is stuff that Jack... Says in various ways throughout some of his teaching, and I believe they're important aspects for us to think about when we think about the power of the Holy Spirit. And there are three things uh, this idea that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of submission, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of supplication, a word that we don't use very much, and that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of substitution. So, Let's explore each of these. The first one is the spirit of submission. And you understand the idea of submission, right? When you submit to somebody, what you're doing is saying, I want to honor you. I'm going to put you above me. In fact, Jesus said it again and again. Remember on the last night before he was betrayed, he washed everybody's feet. He took the form of a servant, a slave. And and when he was finished, he said, if you want to follow me, then you got to do like I do. And that means serve. It's a spirit of submission. Not because we're afraid to submit to somebody, not because we're afraid of them, but because we choose to put ourselves in submission beneath them. And this same idea gets beat around in the Bible a fair amount. One of the places that gets misinterpreted most is maybe in Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands. And it's one that, as I said, gets so misinterpreted because when you say it like that, what it sounds like is the wife's role is to just submit to her husband. And all the guys in the room might want to say amen, but if your wife is with you, don't say it, okay? Let me save you from that right now. But when you look at the rest of the passage, uh, and many of you are aware of this, that Jesus, or Paul says, your husbands, you are supposed to treat your wife like Jesus treated the church. And how did Jesus treat the church? Jesus submitted himself to the church. Who is the church? We are the church. Jesus submitted himself. He made himself lower than us in order to serve us. He placed himself in submission beneath us. And Paul says, when he's talking about marriage, this marriage thing, he says, guys, if you're going to really be the right husband, you've got to submit To Christ you got to do what Christ did and that means you got to elevate your wife you got to lift her up you got to put her above yourself and in fact so that we might settle any marriage dispute that might be out there as a result of this today let me just say that the way Paul says it that the the real godly marriage has to do with the husband and wife both recognizing that God is the head of their household not any one human person that God is the head of my marriage to Chrissy. She's not the head of me, and she's not here to disown that right now, but she's not the head of me. Jesus is the head of me, and I'm not the head of her. Jesus is the head of her. Together we serve one another in concert to serve God through Jesus Christ. Paul says, if you've got to have a good marriage, you've got to have a good marriage means submitting to one another because Jesus is the boss of your marriage. So the essence of submission is about not saying that I'm a worthless piece of worm dirt. Uh, This idea of submission is that I'm more concerned with the needs of others than I'm concerned with the needs of me. And I want you to sit on that for just a moment, to think about that for a moment, because sometimes when preachers say things, they go on to the next thing and then that thought gets lost. But I want you to hang on this thought for a moment. I want you to recognize that one of the biggest struggles that you and I have every single day is that we tend to have, we are inclined to have a preoccupation with ourselves and not other people. But the Bible says that, really, if we're going to be spirit-led, we have to be more concerned about the needs of others than ourselves. Submission has to do with a divine order. The way that God ordered things, the way that God ordered all of creation, including this planet that we live in, the way that God ordered it is that there's this father and then there's this son. And then, oh, by the way, there's this Holy Spirit. And the work and presence of the Holy Spirit has everything to do with this power that, that would glorify Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's job, if you will, is to elevate Christ. The Holy Spirit puts himself in submission to Jesus because he knows that Jesus is the one who knows how to heal us, who's how, who, through his forgiveness, through the power of forgiveness in us. We begin to find our lives in a way that we never knew them before. The Holy Spirit's job is to point us back to Jesus. And, oh, by the way, if you want to have this power available for you in your own life, if you want to live by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that means you have to submit to God. you got to submit to God. And that means you got to... That submission begins by saying, God... I submit to your son, Jesus Christ. I give Jesus Christ my life. I want Jesus to lead my life. If you've ever done that or said that, then what you're doing is you're placing yourself in submission to God, and you're putting yourself in, in a position to receive the authority of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're submitting to the Holy Spirit at the same time. Now, a second aspect of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of supplication. Say, supplication. Okay, very good. It's not a word that you use very often. It's probably one that you haven't said in a long time because it's one of those words that comes out of the Bible that uh, we don't quite understand what does it mean. It sounds like a really old-fashioned kind of word, but it's a word that really is specific in intent in what the Bible gives to us. It's really about prayer. Supplication is about prayer, but a specific kind of prayer. Now, everybody here has heard the word prayer. And you understand that the way the Bible gets translated, when scholars look at the Bible, uh, often groups of scholars get together and they try to work on what is this phrase actually trying to say to us in English? It's part of the challenge of translations in the Bible is that that it depends on a particular nuance in a word often. Because the Hebrew words and Greek words, the way the phrases are put together, they're different than sentences that we have in, in English. And so sometimes it's hard to understand what the Bible might say based on exactly what the Hebrew is saying. And there's sometimes confusion about this word prayer because prayer can mean different things. It's maybe like uh, in English, if I were to use the word bear, you wouldn't know what I was talking about. You wouldn't know if I was talking about a fuzzy thing that lives in the forest. That would be a bear, right? Or you you wouldn't know uh, that if I was referring to the the suffering that I'm going through, that it's hard for me to bear it. You wouldn't know if that was the kind of bear I'm talking about. Or you wouldn't know if it was a reference that I that was using because I, I had a, a wire and I stripped the insulation off the wire and the wire became bare. right? O- only based on the context would you know what I am talking about. And the Bible, when it uses the word prayer, very often, most often, it refers to a petition. And a petition is simply an asking. God, help me. God, I-, I want you to pray for my job. I want you to help me with my job interview. God, I, I-, I want you to keep me from strangling my kids. God, I-, I want you to pray that my father has a successful surgery. Those are petitions. They're requests of God. But supplication has a little nuance of a different intent for us because it's about a specific kind of praying. Supplication is praying against spiritual bondage praying against spiritual bondage and the reason at least one of the reasons that the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus is because the Holy Spirit understands that Jesus is the one that can release somebody from spiritual bondage against the darkness that wants to reign over us a couple of examples out of the scripture in 1st Kings 8 it says that Solomon was praying and he was praying at the altar of God it says He was praying, and he was also offering supplication. And depending on what translation you look at, it might just say that Solomon was praying, but other translations, which I believe are more more accurate to the intent, uh, say that there was prayer and supplication going on, and that Solomon essentially was was praying to God. He was bringing petitions before God, but he was also praying against spiritual bondage for the people. In Acts chapter 1, a few verses later from the one that we read together here a little bit ago. A few verses later, uh, we read it some translations say that all Jesus' friends continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And there again, it's divided. It says prayer and supplication. But again, depending on your translation, it might just say prayer. So you wouldn't understand that the intent of it was to say this is praying specifically against spiritual bondage. And by the way, I just want to go on record as saying that some people argue with me uh, about the, this truth that's in this passage about the people being in one accord and prayer and sup- supplication because I've had many people say to me that they believe this is evidence that everybody back then drove Hondas. Th- th- they say, yeah, this is proof that everybody drove a Honda because it says they were in one accord. Okay. Okay, unless you roll your eyes too much. The last reference that I would share with you, if you can put that out of your mind, just put it out of your mind, (laughs) is Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6, it says we're to pray always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And there's that word again, specifically inserted there to help us understand that we are to be in the business of praying against, speaking against spiritual bondage. And, and, and this is a critical issue for us because there are people in this room, people watching at home, people that you know that are in spiritual bondage, meaning that their lives are not fulfilled for them because they are tied to something that has happened in their past, a lie that they may have believed once upon a time. It's one of the reasons that we've had freedom seminars here at Lighthouse because people, when, people need to understand that, that everybody has baggage from time to time. Is, is anybody willing to say, I've got baggage from time to time? Would you put your hand up if you're willing to say, I've got baggage from time to time? And if you don't have your hand up, I say, you go ahead and go out of here this morning. Because everybody's got baggage from time to time. That's why the Holy Spirit is so critical. Because He works in us and through us all the time to help us be relieved of that baggage. We need to move forward and get past that baggage. And if you're struggling today with some darkness in your life, it's very possible that it has to do with spiritual kinds of baggage. God wants us to get on with our lives. God wants to help us deal with our baggage. Would anybody here say that, that God has helped you deal with your baggage? Anybody? Like every day? Like every five minutes? Yeah, help me deal with my baggage, God. But please understand this spiritual bondage. Part of the reason the Bible speaks it again and again and again is because the Bible understands that this is spiritual warfare. In fact, that's really the context of what Paul is speaking about in Ephesians 6, where it says prayer and supplication. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus about spiritual warfare. And that how we are engaged, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, you and I are engaged in spiritual warfare because there's all kinds of other agendas out there that are vying for our time, vying for our attention, trying to divert us away from the true path that is God's path in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't happen without a struggle. That's why the church must be involved, engaged in the life of the community. That's why at our church uh, on the weekends uh, when the school is going on, that we, we have backpacks that go over to Dozier Elementary School filled with food because those kids wouldn't have food. A lot of those kids won't have food on the weekends without us. And, and please understand, it's not just about feeding them because that, that's obviously got to be a priority, but it's about trying to work against the spiritual darkness that is out there that, that a parent would, would want to neglect their children so much so that they would not be able to eat on a weekend. I've said a time and again, I've spoken about an example that I know of about a principal going to a school to talk to the parents about their child that had shown some positive movement in their skill set at school and that the principal understood from the teacher talking with the principal that this child was somebody that, that really could excel if they had an opportunity. And when that principal showed up to the door of that parent's house, the parent closed the door in their face, essentially, saying to them that, it's not, I don't care what happens to my kid at school. When my kid's at school, it's your job. It's your job to educate my kid, not mine. That is spiritual bondage right there, friends. That is spiritual darkness. It's why we're sending our youth team back to Orange, Texas to help with Hurricane Harvey. Oh, they're going to be repairing things and they'll be painting things and cleaning up again after that hurricane. But please understand, all that work is about fighting against spiritual darkness because those people that the youth are going to be serving are people that have been ostracized uh, by society in many ways. They've been forgotten by society. They begin to wonder, does anybody care about me? Does God care about me? And so our youth team, as they go, they're going to be helping those people in Orange know that God desperately cares for them. It's why we're going to Mexico in a couple of weeks so those kids at the orphanage can continue to, to be nurtured in the life of Jesus Christ to fight against the forces of darkness, to beat back this idea of spiritual bondage. And the same is true about why we're going to Kenya. Because we want to partner with the people in Kenya to help them know those orphans that we serve there. The hospital that we work in there, that is a force for light in the middle of a dark world. It is a struggle. It's got to be something that we work on every single day. And then the third aspect of the Holy Spirit is He is the spirit of substitution. And, And you get this. It's not a stretch for us to understand substitution. We know about substitute teachers. Right. If you have a substitute teacher in your class, that means that your teacher, your regular teacher is not available to be there that day. And there is a substitute that comes. If you watch uh, the NBA finals game tonight, uh, one of the things that you know that is critical to a basketball team is how many points are they going to get off their bench? And getting points off the bench is about how are the substitutes going to do for our team? Jesus said, I'm going away. And oh, by the way, did you, did you remember, do you recall that Jesus didn't say, I'm going away? He said, it's a good thing that I go away. How in the world could it be a good thing? Can you imagine how his friends would have heard that? Well, wait a minute, you died and you rose from the dead. Now you're going to leave us again? Say it isn't so. But Jesus says, it's a good thing that I'm going because I'm going to send the comforter, the advocate for you. And when he says that, when Jesus says that, About the Holy Spirit, what he's doing is he's really speaking about himself. Because Jesus was the comforter. Jesus was the advocate. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm tagging out. So the Holy Spirit can be tagged in because the Holy Spirit is going to give you this power that is available to you all the time. All the time. The Holy Spirit would be a stand in. So how does this apply to me? We read the passage together, right? Jesus made two promises, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit descends upon us and we will be witnesses, meaning we will share, we will tell people about what Jesus has meant to me, not only in my family, but in my city, in my state, in my country, everywhere I go. And this power, this electricity, the stuff that you cannot see, this power is wrapped up in the ideas of submission and supplication and substitution. So let me ask it a little bit differently. Let me ask you, do you believe God is real? Okay. Do you believe Jesus was God's son and that he was fully human and fully divine? Okay. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the dead three days later? Okay, good. And and do you believe that Jesus lived another 40 days after that, was seen by over 500 people, and at the end of that time, He gave them final instructions as He ascended up into heaven? Do you believe that too? And 10 days later, in Jerusalem, the gift of the Holy Spirit was given, and the church was birthed. Do you believe that one too? And a last question Would you say that you want to follow the will of God for your life? I believe that everybody here, I I, I believe it. Everybody here, I think, would say, if, if, if you were asked, do you want to follow the will of God? You'd say, yeah, I do. This idea is about seeking the will of God for me. Individually, for me, for you. Seeking the will of God. For me, you see, one of the things that I know is that this concept of seeking the will of God is something that that would be and is important to a mature believer. And and when I'm speaking about a mature believer, I'm not talking about somebody that's got the right age. I'm talking about being mature in your faith. If you are maturing in your faith, you a relevant question for you every single day is, Am I in the will of God? And when things confront you, when decisions come that you have to make, that that part of what you do, if you're a mature believer, is you say, okay, God, I want to do your will. Help me understand what your will is in this situation. Let me understand it. We need to pray about it. One of the things that I'm doing right now is I'm praying over the vision of our church. I've uh, been doing it for about the last month. I'm doing that every single day. Uh, gonna be, we're going to be having a big vision Sunday in September. And it's going to be great, it's going to be wonderful, and, and part of what's great and wonderful about it is that this is, this, the seeking of this vision for our church has to do with, is this God's will or not? Because we have to ask ourselves the question, what do we want to do as a church? Do we want to do the things that we think are good things to do, or do we want to do the, the things that God says we should be investing in? I, I would, surely I would guess. Surely I would say, you would say, yeah, I want to do what God wants us to do, right? So I want to invite you to join me in praying about the vision of our church. Our, our, our full-time staff members are on board. We've been talking about it and praying about it. Uh, our board of directors has been talking about it and praying about it. The Barnabas team has been talking about it and praying about it with me. It's about the future. And and many of you know that, that I got derailed from the vision of our church when I had my radiation and subsequent surgery last winter. Uh, and But there's been things percolating in me ever since. And, it's time for that vision to, to roll out. It's going to be an awesome time for us. But again, the point of saying all that is, look, it's got to be about God's will, not my will, not your will. It's got to be about what does God want for Lighthouse? And the key of that, the key to that kind of praying is to say, thy will be done. Not mine, but thy will be done. You remember how Jesus, right? The night before he was betrayed or the night of, of his betrayal, he had a last meal with his friends. He knew that he was going to die the next day. He didn't say anything to his friends about it. They were oblivious to what was going on. After prayer, after dinner, they go out to pray, and Jesus prays. He asks God to allow him to not have to do what he knows he's supposed to do tomorrow. Heavenly Father, you know, I don't really want to do this. I don't really want to die tomorrow. But at the end of that petition, Jesus prays a prayer of supplication. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Break the spiritual bondage of the people. So then there's this amazing thing that happens if we'll surrender our wills to God. Then we'll find ourselves driven by the Holy Spirit. Then we'll find ourselves understanding that this force that we cannot see, that is the the power of the Holy Spirit, that this force begins to help us understand how to, how to order our lives, how to live every day like the top is down, focused on the moment, focused on the day, not allowing the past to cripple us, not, not, not allowing the fear of the future to, to defeat us, but instead trusting that God wants good for me every day and that because of that goodness of God, I'm going to serve Him every single moment of every single day. And as a result of that, as a result of our leaning into the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us, I get changed, you get changed, the city gets changed, the state gets changed, the world gets changed by this power. First Peter 3.15 says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, And if someone asks you, ask about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Are you ready to explain it, friends? Too often people don't say anything about Jesus. It's one of the things we got to get over as a church. We we get too scared that I'm going to offend somebody or I'm going to run somebody away if if I talk to them about Jesus. Well, maybe you might. But friends, if you just talk about the hope that you have, you're not going to run anybody off. If you don't break out your Bible and, and, and whack them on the head with it and say, you need to find Jesus. If you don't do that, if, if you just tell somebody, hey, I don't know about other people, but here's what God has done for me. Can you speak about that? That's what's going to change the world. That's gonna, what's going to draw people to Jesus. That's what's going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. That's top-down living. Living focused on the now empowered by the Holy Spirit to see the work of God in our lives. What a gift, this Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Today as we pray, I would ask everybody within the sound of my voice whether or not you have the conviction in your heart to say that you want the Holy Spirit to be awakened in you. That this is not just some simple little game that the church likes to play, but that the Holy Spirit is real and His power is available. And and, and do I want to be awakened to the power of the Holy Spirit that is already latent in me? The same Spirit that came at Pentecost. Lord, may we be submissive to you by asking about your will for our lives. We pray today not just for ourselves, but for others who are walking in darkness, who need to be released from spiritual bondage. And we pray that someone in this place, someone within the sound of my voice, that even right now, that they are convicted of their own life, and they are desperately seeking something, some way out, Lord, that that individual or those individuals right here, right now, would make the, the life-changing decision to become a follower of Jesus. That they would ask, Lord, lead my life too. And we pray, God, that when people experience us, our lives, that they would not see us, but that they would see our substitute, Jesus, that our words, oh, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day, where we work, where we live, with our neighbors, with the stranger that we meet, that, that we would simply be that ambassador for Jesus, that people would see Jesus in us. And as a result, God, may Fort Worth be, be awakened to your power. May Texas and all the world Begin to recognize what an amazing God you are. Holy Spirit, come. Make our ears hear. Our eyes see. Our mouths speak for you. God, I invite everybody within the sound of my voice, with your head bowed and your eyes closed as we are, I want to invite everybody to just put their hands up in the air. Put your hands up in the air. And God, we put our hands up in the air right now because we want to reach the world for Jesus. We want to touch the world with this incredible love that you have given to us. And God, we know that we can't do it on our own strength. we got to rely on you. And and Lord, we put ourselves in submission beneath you. And we ask you, God, to please use us. Use us, God, to help people know that they are loved by the God of all creation. We hang on every word, God, from Your mouth, that You may speak, that You may help us know love and life in a way that we could not know it otherwise. We give You praise and thanks for the gift of Your Holy Spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen and amen.